So I wanted to specially spotlight Frank this morning for his ongoing healing work, his, uh, his way of being with all of us in these days, especially as compassion has been asked for, as we need to forgive ourselves, as we need to open ourselves to new practices. Um, Frank, you need to unmute yourself. But I just want to say that, you know, for so many of us, um, your, your huge heart and also wisdom has been a great ongoing gift. Thank you so much and welcome. We're so happy to have you. Thank you, Jean. Wonderful to be with the Sangha. Happy, happy, happy to be with you all. A lot of you know that, um, you know, I worked for decades accompanying people, hundreds if not thousands of people on the precipice of death. And um, that tends to be the place I speak from. Um, to me, that hospice work wasn't just about providing good pain or symptom management. Um, it was primarily about relationship. Um, our relationship to ourselves, to those we love, to God or true nature, however we name the kindness and beauty of reality. Uh, and in my limited experience, I think that the, those relationships were characterized much more by mystery than mastery. Mm -hmm. So part of my commitment to those people that I served um, was to share what was learned in those vulnerable moments. And uh, it's how I respect the wisdom that they transmitted. So I, I want to thank them for their, whatever I say that has value, I, I, it comes directly from them. Yeah. So change like death um, is inevitable but change itself doesn't guarantee transformation. Uh, transformation is that mm, deeper internal shift through which we are, well, we could say reconstituted. It's a kind of metamorphosis. And that process of transformation uh, in it, I think uh, our scales fall from our eyes. And, uh, Boundaries dissolve and we come to realize ourselves to be more than the small separate self we've taken ourselves to be. And uh, sometimes in this expansiveness of being, um, at least for a time, it's almost unrecognizable to our former self. Yeah. So this, this transformation of consciousness that I'm speaking about, which sounds very highfalutin, you know, um, it requires a kind of active engagement. We can't think our way through the process. We can't, it's not a strategy we could execute. Um, I think it's a kind of, I don't know, open-ended willingness to be fully vulnerable to the unknown. Mm -hmm. 
And I think we're aided in that journey of transformation uh, when we open to mystery, that kind of intangible force that we can't predict and or measure or explain. <laughs> the mystery I'm speaking about here isn't um, like those Agatha Christie novels you read on the beach, you know, where you know, the clues become apparent and the hero detective, you know, adds them all up and declares that the butler did it. You know, I, I, that's not the kind of mystery I'm speaking of. And the work that I did, that Martha and I did, Wendy and I did, Dahlia and I did, John and I did, um, it's pervaded with mystery can't be solved or fully known by the conceptual mind. But like when listening to a beautiful piece of music, we can give ourselves to it. Um, we don't just observe the mystery of the music. And we realize that we are the mystery. It lives through us. And probably we've all had the experience of an encounter with mystery, which is marked with awe and wonder. And maybe our jaws drop open at the sight of some imagined, you know, unimaginable beauty in nature, for example. And um, in such moments, the mind momentarily stops. And, Consciousness is at rest and we humbly bear witness. There was a patient I worked with, her name was Zoe, I remember. And uh, she had this disease which caused her to be um, very drowsy. And she slept sometimes 16 or even 17 hours a day. And then there came a point in the final weeks of her life when she moved into this deeper states of sleep, somnolent, where she'd sleep for a day or two, actually. And uh, I, I would call it uh, practice runs at dying. Yeah. And when Zoe would sort of resurface in a way uh, into consciousness, she sometimes shared with me what she'd experienced in these, I don't know, dreamlike journeys, you know. And, and once I remember she described this place of utter peace and uh, she said, wow, Frank, if I had known the silence was this beautiful, I would have spent a lot more time in quiet. <laughs> and I think in those kinds of moments, I saw it regularly, there's no fear of death. And whenever there's an absence of fear, there's usually a presence of love. Love is the lubricant, if you will, that allows us to slip out of the boundaries of the body. I think love is the longing that calls us home. So in, in, in life transforming moments like dying or giving birth or meditating or making love or being immersed in the, in the beauty of nature or thinking of Wendy now, um, 
you know, falling into the eyes of an infant, um, we get a glimpse of the unnameable. And it can feel utterly safe, like there's no deficiency. Mystery. I remember having a teacher once and I was practicing in my very ordinary, you know, and, and uh, she said, Frank, can you let go of your history and all your practices and step into the mystery? <laughs> I love my Dharma practice, but mostly I think it's love that's the fuel for this journey through life. And, uh, and I would add that joy is the spark that ignites that fuel. Yeah. So for me, a, a sense of wonder, which can include play and curiosity and these qualities, you know, that's what introduces us to or enlivens or helps us to make contact with this essential quality of joy. Like when you watch children play, they don't play for a purpose. You know, they're not trying to get awakened. They just play to discover. You know, you, you watch a young infant put a, a stick in her mouth, you know, and she doesn't do it because she's hungry. You know, she does it to discover. There's, there's a million nerve receptors in the lips, a million. It's a, the lips are a hundred times more sensitive than the fingertips. So babies put things in their mouth to know them directly. In our Zazen practice, if we're not being too dreary about it, we speak of don't know mind as being characterized by curiosity, by surprise, by a sense of discovery. Not knowing makes room for wisdom to arise. And in my practice, at least, wonder has an important role to play in that process. You know, when we don't know where we're going, we have to be fully present. We have to carefully feel our way along, you know, the experience. I call it the Braille method of Zazen. You know, we feel our way through the experience, you know. We don't know. We, you know, we, we open ourselves. And we're not so limited by our old habits or points of view. These days when people ask me, well, what, tell me more about your practice and the history of your practice. And, you know, who did you study with and all these things? You know, I just use one word to describe my practice, intimacy. You know, to be intimate, it's a kind of invitation to come closer, to fully embrace lovingly engaged in our life, the life that's right in front of us, rather than trying to move beyond it. 
it's a, it's a in it there's a kind of recognition that we belong and it's relaxed and it's receptive and it's immediate and sometimes very ordinary intimacy and at the deepest level of intimacy you know subject and object fall away right i'm not intimate with you or separateness dissolves and we experience perhaps this undefended openness and to me this is the real heart and beauty of, of don't know mind now this word wonder it's often associated with why or how you know we, we're wondering and this is a um, this is an activity of the conceptual mind. But that's not the kind of wonder I'm trying to evoke. The, the wonder I'm speaking of, it, it's characterized by surprise, by curiosity, sometimes by astonishment. And it connects us with something much grander than our daily grind, right? I remember reading Einstein, who was fierce sometimes, really fierce, you know? He said, when we can no longer pause and wonder and stand in rapt awe, awe we're as good as dead. So wonder, it might sometimes have this element of vastness about it, you know, or, or complexity about it, you know, our amazement with the natural world or with the ephemeral and unexplainable in our, in our Dharma practice. But I think wonder can it be as easily awakened um, by the grateful awe that we might associate with children. <laughs> um, the way a young child's mind is curious. You know, for her, her last birthday, I, I gave my seven-year-old granddaughter two gifts, uh, binoculars and a magnifying glass. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, we walked around, uh, you know, the park and elsewhere with these two, you know, instruments, looking through them and then seeing how it changed our perspective. And we had a wonderful day, actually. So I, th I think... Um, a sense of wonder can wholeheartedly um, engage us with life, actually without distraction. Uh, we can discover. Yeah. So I wanted us to, to try and do a very simple uh, practice. Um, not long ago, I was, my friend Mark Coleman, who is a mindfulness teacher, particularly oriented toward meditating in nature he hosted something called the nature summit and you know it was one of these big events that two people are doing too much talking at like me maybe um but the part that was the best for me was um this one outdoorsman who brought us into the forest in england covered by bluebells it was a live transmission and that was in the west of England. And he brought us there for a special concert, actually. 
And what happened was we listened to the songs of nightingales who, who gather there annually. And there's one spot they gather annually for just a few weeks. And they've done so for hundreds of years, actually. And it was a wonderful experience. So I want to suggest that we do something very simple. And I just think of it as meandering practice, meandering practice. Um, and, you know, we all know there are lots of ways to explore nature. One of my favorite ways to explore nature is to wander and meander, actually. You know, I did a lot of this when I was a child, although perhaps without much awareness, much understanding. But there was a kind of communing with the woods. I, I recall that my very first love in life, the, one, the being I first fell in love with, was a lady slipper orchid. <laughs> and I met her in the woods in a, in a shaded area. And uh, I was just gaga for her, just totally gaga. And I would go and visit her every day and I didn't tell anyone about her. You know, she was a secret love. And I would stroke her petals and talk to her. And I must've been four or five years old at the time. And then I remember one time I was going there and she was bent over, yeah. And uh, I propped her up with a forked stick, you know, to keep it all going. And then, uh, of course, she bent over and she died. And I, I buried her in the pine needles. And so she was both my first love and my first experience of death, actually. And I didn't tell anyone about her and had my own way of grieving. And then, of course, comes springtime when I was walking through those woods again. There she was. There she was. What a wonder. Oh, I was so happy to see her again. So a meandering walk, a wonder walk, it's different than most of our other meditative forms, which, at least in my experience, tend to incline us toward concentration. Like in the Theravadan practice, you know, in the Vipassana practice, we, we place our primary attention on sensing the feet and legs and and uh, these are ways of concentrating the mind and encouraging embodiment. And beautiful practice. Or in our zazen practice, in the practice of kinhin, we, we, we bring our attention to the posture, right? And arms parallel with the floor, sometimes aligning our steps with the breath, you know? Someone's walking in front of us so we're attentive to them, you know? Hands in jashu. But in meandering practice, we relax, totally relax, you know. The hands might be at your side or in your pockets. Um, letting go of any form, any idea about where you're going, um, what you're going to do when you get there. Just meandering. And the practice is um, about being completely present in the moment um, without an orientation toward concentration listening to the body and the senses. Um, not spacing out. Walking with full awareness. But, you know, feeling the guidance of the trees and the encouragement of the breeze. The experience of the four elements. So meandering, the body goes where it wishes. With a sense of discovery. 
You don't need to be in the deep woods. You can do it in your backyard or garden, or if you don't have a backyard or garden, you could do it in your house, wandering through your kitchen and your living room, noticing the temperature of the air on your skin, and breeze or stillness, sense of space, sounds, feeling the earth beneath your feet. Let yourself be drawn. Cool. You know, maybe at first there's a particular tree or an opening that calls you or sunlight or shade. Or... And, you know, in this manner, there are periodic pauses, right? How does the bird sound, bird song change? How does that sound change? Is there a stream or a rustling in the trees? In time, she'll be drawn to a particular tree, perhaps, and a rock that calls out to you that wants to help you experience some solidity. And, uh, or maybe the soft grass that you it's calling to you to rub your fingers through it. Meander, wonder. And, and I would encourage you to recognize how your relationship with presence is developing. You know, maybe at first you feel yourself coming closer to presence, right? And then maybe you might have an experience of presence itself. Or maybe you gradually come to know yourself as presence. Um, how is experiencing life through those different lenses or relationship to presence changing your experience. Sometimes you'll just want to come over and sit down on the grass, you know, or lie down on the grass. Oh, sacrilegious in our Zen practice. But try it. Awakening in nature. Yeah? Aware of the beauty, changing impressions. So remain aware. Don't space out. Um, Don't try to be aware. <laughs> Sometimes the more we focus, the less we see. So uh, just regularly check that awareness is present and doing its work. And then awareness will gradually grow and stronger and the unwholesome qualities of mind will dissolve. So meander in the way you walk in nature, the way Wendy walks on the mountain, or Dahlia walks at the seashore. With a sense of wonder and discovery. Okay, that's that's the only directions uh, you need. And if you can't go outside, it's okay. You can walk inside, but walk with fresh eyes. Okay. So we can, we haven't got a lot of time to do this. So we'll do this for like maybe 15 minutes. So bring a watch with you or your smartphone if you're going outside so that you can come back in 15 minutes. It's, it's nine o'clock now. So we'll come back at 9.15, okay? And see what we discovered, right? See what we discovered. So let yourself just be curious for a little while, okay? Don't worry about form so much, all right? So that's it. That's the only things I have to say. And uh, now stand, go outside if you can, look in your back garden, uh, or if you don't have one, walk in your house, okay? 
but with fresh eyes. Let the scales fall from your eyes and see what you discover. Okay, so let's do that now, and then we'll come back. Uh, so you don't sign off. Just you know, mute if you're not already muted. Mute yourself, and uh, see you in fifteen minutes. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Frank. Yeah. Yay! Even if you can't go out, you can yeah. just walk in your house. Take a wonder journey. Okay, I'm going to, and I muted you, Frank. Thank you.